I want to, as you're turning to Luke chapter 1, I want to um, just let you know that this Wednesday I will not be here. And so in my place we have Pastor Frank um, from Calvary Chapel uh, Colton um, that will be here. Um, most, if not all of you, have, um, have heard him teach. You've spent time with him. And so I, we're always blessed to have Pastor Frank uh, come and teach. And so he will be here uh, this coming Wednesday. Um, <clears throat> so make sure that you invite someone, bring them out, and, uh, and just be blessed by that. Um, <clears throat> so Luke chapter 1 is where we're at. Uh, the title of this morning's message is Magnificent, which means an utterance of praise. And so what we, um, you know, as we, we consider the, uh, the declaration, the news that was brought from Gabriel, the angel, the archangel, to Mary, and what that response was within her, uh, I would surely hope that that would be our response in humility and meekness toward the Lord, knowing that we are deserving of absolutely nothing, and yet the Lord has blessed us with the, the Savior, and He has offered Him to us. As his grace. See, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's at this time that the news of the coming Messiah was brought forth to Mary. And her response was an absolute utterance of praise. So let's begin by reading Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the same and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Oh, we praise you for that, Father. Oh, what, what wonderful news. Messiah is finally come. Lord, we ask that, Lord, you would give us understanding of your word, that we would, Lord, know how it is that we are to apply it to our own lives, Father, as we um, are taught by you and by your spirit, give us understanding Lord, may our faith be built up as we are reminded of what you did in this moment, in this day, and how it is that you desire that we would walk by faith and not by sight. That we as Mary would perhaps, at the hearing of your word, would simply believe, not really knowing exactly how it will come about, but knowing that it will and just simply 
committing ourselves to you, wholly giving ourselves to you, setting ourselves apart unto you, being willing to give of ourselves as a, as a vessel to be used, however it is that you see fit. Because you are trustworthy, you are faithful, and you are good. And so, Lord, we thank you for this time. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, this morning, we learn about the story of when Mary was visited by an angel to receive the news that she would be with child. And, of course, as we know, it's not just any child. It wasn't the story of Hannah that was barren. It wasn't the story of Martha that was uh, barren, or Elizabeth, I'm sorry, that was barren. So it, it wasn't that. It was, it was a young woman who was betrothed to Joseph. And the child, we know, is not just any child, but the Messiah, the Son of the Most High, who, as we read, will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You know, this event is told year after year during the time of Christmas, towards the end of the, the year, the calendar year. But this is actually an event that should be remembered often and throughout the year because it is a declaration from heaven of the good news of the Savior. You know, we participate in, in communion often as a church. And so we remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we declare his death until he comes again. It's a time of uh, remembering the work that God did through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. But this event right here was foretold by the prophets. It is something that we ought to remember Often, the, the, the entirety of God's word, the, the declaration, the prophecies that have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ should truly be something that deepens our faith. We're reminded of how faithful God is. And his word is not something that we, can, that we ought to doubt in or, or wonder if it will come to pass, but no. That it has and it will. It is this wonderful declaration from heaven of the good news of the Savior who is being sent by the Father to do one thing. And that is to atone for our sin on the cross. It's a reminder that God demonstrated his love for us by sending the Savior. And reminding us of the fact that he never leaves us. He hasn't forgotten about us. In fact, he fulfilled exactly what it is he said he would fulfill. But God demonstrated, past tense, his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For us, we can look back at that point and know that the reason why he sent the Son was to atone, was to pay in full for our sins. And so it is this child that was declared to Mary would come and she would conceive. You know, John the Baptist, whose conception was foretold by Gabriel, the archangel, to Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, 
was one who later, of course, when he was at the Jordan baptizing many for repentance, when he saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In John 1.29. When people were questioning whether John was the Christ, in, in this period, at that time when he was baptizing, says, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Luke 3.16. You see, John clearly knew who Jesus was. And at this point, Mary is being told that she has been chosen to conceive and raise the Messiah. This is truly news beyond belief, beyond our imagination. Mary receiving this news, being told that this was, this was for her. Well, this news caused Mary to respond in a way that, that just demonstrated a heart that was overwhelmed with gratitude. It humbled her. Caused her to, to just overwhelm, just that her mouth just declared what her heart was filled with. That was praise. She humbled herself before God, confessed that she believed that she was told when she said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word, as it says in verse 38. You know, I always wonder how it is that as servants of God, when we truly acknowledge, when we realize that we have nothing good to offer in and of ourselves, that it just baffles me how it is that certain people can take that honor and that humbling privilege of serving the Lord and use it to exalt self, promote self. You know, and I, and I unfortunately see it within the church. Sometimes people being asked to come into certain positions within the church Forgetting that first and foremost, we are, we are servants. We are the lowest of the lowest. We are here to serve, not to be served. And sometimes it's in those places to where it's like, oh, well, look at me. And it may not be in words, but it's expressed in actions. It's how we treat others. It's how, what we say to other people. It's how we accept, expect to be treated. Truly, everyone is willing to be a servant until you're treated like one. Keep that in mind. Because we are going through a foundations class. We have one that's starting today. And we take you through uh, doctrine. It's just, it, it's the, the basics of our faith. Uh, we begin today with an introduction with kind of a little background as far as the church is concerned. And the structure of the church. And then we go into a time of studying. And, and that is a time of study. It's being reminded of the basics of our faith. 
making sure that we're on the same page, that you stand in the same place doctrinally as we do. But it's so that you can serve. You see, Christianity is, is a faith of participation. We observe and we look and, and we, we learn, but at the same time, the Lord has called us to act. And so we're moved to do that. But don't ever forget this. You, us, we are servants of the Lord. And we're here to serve others as we minister to him. And so what we see here is a proper response by Mary. She responded with praise. Why? Because she was humbled at this news. She confessed that she believed what she was told. And then said, I am the servant of the Lord. I am your maidservant. The lowest of the lowest of servants. When considering what God has done for you, is it enough to cause you to respond with such an utterance of praise? Is his salvation enough? Is his forgiveness of your sins sufficient? Is eternal glory satisfactory to you, regardless of what you experience this side of heaven? Because I'll tell you what, what happens is when we're placed in certain difficult situations, circumstances that are beyond our belief, what happens is what, what's expressed is really what we have in our hearts. Do we come to a place of being anxious, of looking to the world, perhaps to satisfy what should only be found in Jesus Christ, being content in him and him alone. It's a good thing, by the way. When we are placed in those circumstances, those situations, those events that are beyond what we could ever comprehend before, we could never imagine that we're, we would be ever placed in that situation. And then reveal to us, perhaps there's some faith that needs to be built up within us or expressed in those moments. Because I realize I'm, I'm looking to someone else or something else, the philosophies of the world and not the Lord himself for peace, for contentment, for wisdom, for truth. We have to come to that place is salvation enough? Everything else is icing on the cake. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That was the Apostle Paul. We have yet to come anywhere close to experiencing what the Apostle Paul experienced. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You know, there's a song, I can only imagine when that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun. 
You know, will we fall on our faces? Will we sing? What will we do? I, you know what? It's truly beyond our comprehension. Beyond our comprehension. The glory that awaits us, we'll see one day. We will, we will be there together, brothers and sisters. I, I'm so looking forward to that day, and it's going to be for eternity. That should cause us to like, like that in and of itself, to be reminded of that, to like just yell hallelujah, praise God, right? To, for our hearts to be well, right? Because I would hope that God's grace known in salvation through Jesus Christ is enough to cause a heart of gratitude to express itself in endless praise to God. So let's see, as we go through these verses, how Mary responds to the news of a miraculous conception and who it is that she will be privileged to carry. Again, verse 26, this is the word that was sent to Mary. This is the description of what uh, was happening in heaven. Verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the sixth month is referring to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And as we read here, Gabriel was sent by God to a city in Galilee, Galilee named Nazareth. I was just in Nazareth a few weeks ago. It's about 12, 15 miles from uh, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, in that day, uh, it, was, it was a distance from any main road. Uh, Nazareth was not a city that was even considered to have any prominence whatsoever. It was of little value. In fact, those of Judah thought that it had absolutely no value whatsoever. In fact, it was considered by those of, of Judah, Jerusalem, in that area. Uh, for Nazareth to not be kosher, eh? like the people from the area, from the region of Galilee, uh, were not kosher. They weren't clean. You see, they mixed it up with Gentiles. And so it was a, a city that was um, really despised. The people were despised. And what's to, what's to say of Mary? I mean, Mary was someone great, right? Mary was someone that, of course, of course the Lord would have chosen her of all the people, right? Who was Mary? She was a Jew from the tribe of Judah, a descendant of David, and a virgin who was engaged to Joseph, who was a carpenter in Nazareth. A humble trade. And then Mary and Joseph, they weren't wealthy. They weren't royalty. And yet, she was chosen to carry the king. They were poor. Again, insignificant. Insignificant. 
a people despised by the rest of Israel, living in a place that was despised by the rest of Israel. So were they significant in the eyes of the world or anyone else? Absolutely not. And they were betrothed. In this day, to be betrothed was just as binding as being married, as we know it today. The betrothal could, be, it could only be broken by divorce. It was a step between engagement and marriage. Engagement was an arrangement between the fathers. Then you have the betrothal, which was promises were exchanged. And then marriage came later. And that was when the father of the groom would tell him, okay, it's time to go. To bring unto yourself your bride. So this was in between. It was the betrothal. And by the way, if you're thinking of, um, of the rapture and, and, and that whole Galilean wedding and, and uh, the, um, uh, what's expressed by that uh, is seen in God's people and the groom coming for the bridegroom when the father says it's time. Um, it's all there for a reason. But they were betrothed. Mary was a virgin at this point, not having had intimate relationships with any man. And her name means exalted one. How fitting, right? And yet, Mary, as we've heard the description of her, was an ordinary woman. Young. It was in that day, uh, women would marry at a young age, and so... She was a teenager. Unremarkable in every sense. And yet, God chose her to conceive and sent the angel, Gabriel, to announce that news to her. Verse 28 says, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the same and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Favor with God. You will bear a son. As we saw with Zechariah, when the angel Gabriel appeared to him, he was, remember, he was greatly troubled and he feared. It was the same thing with Mary. When the angel came to Mary, she was greatly troubled and fear fell upon her. Mary was, was humble in her response. She wasn't expecting to be favored or even visited by an angel. If we don't consider the fact that we, we aren't 
well, we aren't uh, owed anything. Um, we um, are not uh, deserving of anything from the Lord. And the moment we are reminded of God's promises or how faithful he is to us, his grace toward us, it shouldn't be, the, the response should never be, well, of course. That's something that, of course, he, he should supply me with. It should always be humbling. Who is man that you are mindful of him? We should acknowledge him for who he is. And she did in the moment. She was greatly troubled. Her response was humble. And the angel comforted her and repeated to her what she that she had found favor with God. Two things that the angel told her in this greeting. Number one, she was favored, right? We read that she was favored. And secondly, that the Lord was with her. Two very important things for us to acknowledge and remember. And after telling Mary that she didn't need to be afraid because she had found favor with the Lord, the angel went right into the details of why this was true in verses 31 through 33. Now, kind of a side note, perhaps some of you have a translation that adds, Blessed art thou among women. It is not found in many Greek manuscripts, but it is found in verse 42. And so that is why in the ESV translation, it is not found there. Because in most Greek manuscripts, it is not there. And so just in case, well, hey, we're kind of missing that, or you skipped over that. No, I, I didn't skip over it. I'm making a note of it and letting you know it is there, but it's in verse 42. It's not added here. Now, <clears throat> Mary was highly favored. Why? Simply because she was selected as a vessel to be used by the Lord to carry the Messiah. That was, that was it. It was, it was God's choice, God's doing, God's power, God's sovereignty She was going to be carrying the promised Messiah. The Savior who was a son of God. The King who would sit on David's throne forever. Therefore making an announcement of God's fulfillment of God's covenant with David. According to 2 Samuel chapter 7. She knew scripture. We'll, we'll see that in a few moments. She knew it well. She knew the Old Testament. You know, Jesus one day will return to rule and reign, establish, establishing his righteous kingdom on earth. And then all of these promises will be fulfilled. And with this, Gabriel affirmed the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. And what he spoke, what he told Mary, he affirmed in Christ, in Jesus, the deity and humanity of Jesus of Nazareth. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. You know, I, I know that, you know, we've read through that verse a lot, right? You've heard it a lot. And yet, did you realize that the first portion of that, a child is born, speaks of Jesus' humanity, 
And the second part of that a son is given is referring to his deity. His humanity and his deity, all going back to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Please note that in all of this, the emphasis of greatness is on the son, not on the mother. Mary's favor, well, is simply being chosen to conceive and carry the Savior. You know, I, I, I do want to say that there are some who go to the two extremes. Mary kind of just dismiss her as, okay, she's Mary, she conceived and she carried and that's it. And then on the other spectrum, on the other end of the spectrum, we see people who venerate her, who uh, also deify her as the co-redemptress of Christ, uh, the one to whom people pray to uh, and, uh, and ask her to, to perhaps do something on their behalf. Um, there is one, only one, who mediates, who is our intermediary between us and the Father, and that's Jesus Christ. There's only one Savior who has redeemed us, and that is Jesus Christ. Mary is blessed. Oh my goodness, can, can you imagine being used as a vessel to carry the Savior, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Truly wonderful. And so we should acknowledge her as such, knowing that she was truly blessed, but at the same time, stopping short of exalting her in the same way that we would exalt Jesus Christ. We can't do that. It's not biblical. It is not what the Word teaches us. Her response was humble, unpresumptuous. She was meek. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You guys know what Emmanuel means, right? God with us. God with us. And her response was meek. It was, again, just humble, and we see that in a surrendered heart as we go into verses 34 through 38, which says, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is a, a beautiful expression of faith. It's in a surrendered heart. Now, as perhaps you may have thought back to last week when Zechariah asked the question to the angel, right? Remember in verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? But he continued on. He says, for I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Remember that I said his response expressed unbelief. 
It was, there, there's no way that this could happen. I'm old and my wife is advanced in years. And so it came from a heart of unbelief. And for Mary, it came from a heart of wonder. There was belief and at the same time, she wondered. It was not, I don't believe that this will happen, you know. After all, I'm, I'm a virgin. I've never been with a man. So I don't see how this is possible. No, it's more like, I believe what you're saying. I have no idea how it's going to happen. So how's it going to happen? And it was explained that she would be overshadowed by the power of the Most High. Uh, the, the words that were used there uh, would be familiar to her. It would be, what was being described there is the same thing that happened in the Holy of Holies. The presence of God dwelt there. The power of the Most High would be expressed. She understood that. It was God that determined this to happen according to His ability to do so in, in a way that was beyond human understanding. The conception would be miraculous, but his birth would be as normal as any other. Mary did not ask any further questions to clarify. Her response, as we read there, and we'll get to once more, was truly just receiving it, it was accepting of what it was that was explained to her. It was okay. I believe. This would be no ordinary child. The angel said, he told her that this child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. In other words, from this point, it was at this time that Mary was told who you will be carrying is the Son of God. He is equal to God. Not becoming the Son of God. Always having been the Son of God. Is the Son of God and always will be the Son of God. In John 1, 1 and 14... It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. There, were, there was a reason why the religious leaders wanted to stone Jesus to death. In John chapter 5, verse 18 this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. There's no question of who Jesus was. And there was no question at this point that Mary was told that she would be carrying the Son of God. The angel went on to tell Mary that her relative... 
Elizabeth, in her old age, had also conceived a son. Why would the angel tell her that in the middle of this? It would have been enough just to tell her, hey, you're going to conceive and this is how it's going to happen. But she went on to tell her, hey, listen, your relative Elizabeth, she's with child. You see, Mary knew that she, she was advanced in years. That Zechariah was old. And she was barren. And yet she had conceived a son. You see, a person's faith gains strength at the testimony of God's work in another person's life. And so upon hearing this, Mary would be encouraged. The impossible was made possible by God. This word is similar to what God told Abraham when he announced the birth of Isaac in Genesis 18.14. In fact, verse 37, which says, For nothing will be impossible with God. In the American Standard Version, the 1901 American Standard Version, it says, For no word of God shall be void of power. Zero. How is it done? How is it brought about by his word? And so Mary's response to this was a humble surrender of faith to God's word. He said it, and so it was, and so it is. And she referred to herself, as I had referred to earlier, as the lowest of servants, being totally and completed surrender, completely surrendered to God. In other words, giving her complete life to God. This was an offering to him to be used as he saw fit. And then we have God's word confirmed. So remember, she received word that Elizabeth was with child. And so verse 39 tells us, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, this was no short trip. This wasn't like going around the corner, going a few miles to go visit Elizabeth. From Nazareth to where Elizabeth was, was approximately 80 miles. Imagine that. It's not, not like they had Uber or shuttle to bring them anywhere. It would be a hard trip. In haste and with great joy. She wanted to go visit her relative, Elizabeth. Upon news of her pregnancy, it was important for Mary to go visit someone that would perhaps understand and be mutually encouraging to each other. They could both rejoice over what was happening. And they did. They rejoiced. As we read here, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, you could say she had a double portion. Because who else was filled with the Holy Spirit? John was in, in her womb. 
John was filled with the Holy Spirit according to verse 15. And we went over that last week. And while Elizabeth was blessing Mary in the spirit, John was doing somersaults in his mother's womb. I don't know about you, but I remember uh, my, my kids being in the womb. And there's, there's a certain time in the pregnancy to where you can kind of play with them. I don't know if it's plain. It was plain to me. I think for them it was just annoying, you know, to kind of push. And then you see them kind of move, move around. Who knows if it's an ankle, an elbow, or what. But, but I remember doing that. Then they would move. They would move. Can you imagine? Mary comes. The sound of Mary's voice. Not only was Elizabeth filled with great joy, but John in her womb could very distinctly be felt and was overwhelmed with joy. You see, there was a spiritual discernment that overwhelmed both Elizabeth and John with joy when they were in the presence of Christ. This was while Jesus was, while John was in the womb. When Jesus was in the womb. Um, can you please acknowledge, can we acknowledge, you know, the fact that the Lord is with us. He's present right now. Because sometimes we fail to acknowledge his presence. We, we, we conduct ourselves and say things that really ignores that reality. He's with us. He's faithful. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us, no matter what. These two were filled with joy. The house was filled with wonder and faith. John the Baptist was not yet born. Zechariah was still mute. Elizabeth's husband still could not speak. But they all believed. And Elizabeth communicated that belief with unrestrained joy in her heart. Can you imagine? So Zechariah, he, he couldn't write fast enough. I imagine him just writing. And I'm going backwards because that's the way you write in Hebrew, right? So he, he, he wrote it all out. And Elizabeth believed she understood. And then she conceived. And then Mary came. She knew exactly who her son was, the forerunner of the Messiah. And here comes the mother of the Messiah. Of course, that home was filled with wonder and faith. There was no question that it was all true to them. Their faith is an example we should all be encouraged by and imitate. And then finally we have the magnificent, the utterance of praise. Verse 46 says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. It was a song of praise, and the song of praise alluded to the Old Testament. We know over 12 times in what we just read, over 12 times the Old Testament was referred to. I told you that Mary knew Scripture, right? She knew the the Old Testament. I also told you that she was a teenager, right? This means that she was a student of the Word. She knew God's word. She knew Isaiah 7:14. She knew Isaiah 9:6. She knew these verses. And, and so when this came about, she was rejoicing. And in this utterance of praise, she again alluded to the Old Testament time and time and time again. And the scripture, it just bubbled out of her. In this song of praise. Acknowledging who God is. And who man is. Brings us to a place. As we do acknowledge who God is. And who we are. Brings us to a a place. Of humility before the Lord. It will heal any. Person of pride. Of self-righteousness. It puts, puts things in proper perspective and leads a person in right humility and surrender to the only God and Savior. You know, she began by exalting God. Her first words were, my soul magnifies the Lord. Do our, do our very souls magnify the Lord? Is that what we desire? Above all, she also confesses that God is her Savior. She is not Savior unto herself. She confesses that she is in need of a Savior, and God is her Savior. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She acknowledges she is lowly, offers nothing, and confesses that she has been blessed undeservedly. Well, people will call me blessed, but it has nothing to do with her. She acknowledged that. My God, my Savior... My soul magnifies the Lord. Her spirit rejoiced in him. And Mary declares that God has done great things for her. She is confessing his goodness, his faithfulness, his power. And at the same time acknowledging that she contributes absolutely nothing. That was her confession as far as she is concerned specifically. But also, as she continued in this utterance of praise, she included all of God's people who fear him generation after generation. In her mind and heart, the Lord is able and will do all of this, regardless of what the world looked like at that time. And such should be God's people today. As you look around you and you consider scripture and who God is, his presence, 
Who do you take into account more? The world and the effects of the world? Or is it God's word above all? Because in her mind and heart, the Lord is able and will do all of this, regardless of what the world looked like around her. For no word of God shall be void of power. It will not return void. God's word accomplishes what he has set forth for it to accomplish. And that's it. Period. Faith will always lead to joy. Because regardless of the state of a person, God is faithful. God is gracious. God saves. God does great things. And he is able to do what is impossible with man. So I leave you with this. Are you filled with faith in God, trust in Christ? And do you therefore have a joy that marks your life? I know we all go through things. We, we do. The heaviest of things. But we should always acknowledge God's presence, his faithfulness. He is trustworthy. We can look to him for the answers to life and godliness. We can draw close to him. and he, he is closer than a friend. He is our savior. And he is the only one that we can find hope in for all eternity. Does joy mark your life? I pray that for each and every one of us, that we would have our own utterance of praise for him and toward him, that we would glorify and honor him with our lives. He is worthy of it. Father, we thank you, Lord, for you are worthy of our praise. We thank you, Lord, that you did send Father, the Son, to die in our place, to pay for our sins in full. It is only through Jesus Christ that we know salvation as Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the one who secured salvation to all who call upon the name of the Lord. And so, Father, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, if we have been doubtful. Lord, we have been angered in our hearts toward you. Because we acknowledge that you are sovereign, you are good, and salvation is enough. And so help us in our time of need as we look to you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, and may the joy of the Lord be our strength, and may the joy of the Lord, Lord be that, that one thing that distinguishes us from the world as we walk in truth, in spirit in the Spirit. And so we thank you, Lord, and we praise you. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.